This is the Education Gadfly Show. And so when his head gets chopped off, he just falls. And now now I feel terrible. (laughs) What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the last Jedi of education reform, Chris Stewart. Wow, thank you. Huh? How do you like that? Well, you know, I was really hoping it wasn't a Nats reference, yeah, yeah. and that's arguably worse for me. So I have not so watched thanks. the trailer. Have you guys watched the trailer? I, I guess it I came watched out? the trailer, yes. Is it promising? Sure. I have like zero reference. I am not a Star You're Wars not a person. Star Wars I like the third movie originally because it had the uh, Wookiees or the Ewoks, yeah. the little ones. You know, my my kids, uh, we were excited to go see the, the movie two years ago when it came out. And they were like, did okay, but they're not totally into it. And I'm like, man, if they've lost my kids, seven and nine-year-old, I mean, they're in trouble. They, they need to win back. My kids loved it. Did they? All right. Mm-hmm. So they you're it. it. There is hope. Yeah. All right. There are only hope. That ha, Star Wars joke. And Barney are still nice. surviving. So. <laughs> <laughs> there is hope for <laughs> Disney. Right. All right. Well, very good. Well, hey, Chris, great to have you on. You are the CEO of the Wayfinder Foundation, uh, the founder of Citizen Education, and formerly Director of Outreach and External Affairs at Education Post. Whew. And... Uh, other things, executive director of the African American Leadership Forum. You are a busy guy. I have been a busy guy. T- tell us a little bit about Wayfinder. So Wayfinder is making direct investments into urban women who want to be activists. Uh-huh. So we are actually literally um, having them be um, um, activists towards all the systems that serve them. Uh-huh. So okay. um, that would be the welfare system, social service yeah. system, the nonprofit kind of industrial complex, and of course yeah. education. <laughs> yeah. So, Excellent. Yeah. And I should say, uh, the voice you hear, of course, is Alyssa Always. Schwing. Hey, Mike. Hello, mm-hmm. Alyssa. Thanks for being here as well. All right. Well, hey, lots to talk about, as always, in education reform. So let's get right to it. It's time for Ed Reform Update. So, Chris, I have been writing uh, most recently at National Review uh, about this Education Next poll that came out back in August showing a big drop in support for charter schools, including among Republicans. Now, that part is perplexing. The, the other part you can explain with Mr. Trump, of course, Democrats, uh, that they, when they find out that Trump likes charter schools, support plummets. That's not too surprising. Uh, but what's interesting is that among Republicans, you see this big decline, and it's not just a one-year blip. It goes back several years, something like 22-point decline among Republicans in support for charter schools. And what I write is, well, maybe the charter school movement, we've been so busy trying to get folks on the left to like charter schools in the hope, among other things, that more Democrats at the state level will vote to support charter schools, uh, that maybe we're turning off conservatives. And my question is, yikes, is there a way in this big tent movement of ours to both shore up support on the left and also shore up support on the right? But what, what, what do you what do you think about this? And look, I, I say maybe we're doing we are, we've gotten a little too social justice uh in some of our rhetoric that might be turning off conservatives. Am I nuts on that? I don't think you're nuts on it. I just think you know, <laughs> I gave you a chance to tell the world that I am nuts. Come I don't on. think it's, that's your nuts. I think there a couple things might be at play. One, I think I just wonder if there's just general fatigue around schools and, and education. Period. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time and this has been front of mind. It's been front burner. And you just noticed in the last presidential presidential election, almost nothing about education. Yeah. So I just wonder if people just burnt yeah. out on it mm-hmm. right. um, in terms of getting people back involved. I live in a rural area, yeah. right? So I, I live in what would be considered like a Trump, like yeah. uh, a part of America. And there just aren't, there's two charter schools. Yeah. Right. There's two. So the, the kind of, even the interaction with them is really small. 
Yeah. But in Minnesota, we also have um, Friends of Education, mm-hmm. which I consider to be a pretty conservative authorizer mm-hmm. of schools. And they have they have a chain of schools, and people love them. And their schools are in the suburbs. They're in my area, in the rural area. And mm-hmm. I think they may have one or two in the city still. Yeah. So I think the way to win people is really to open schools. Yeah. Now, that's right? interesting. In uh, and I do write that in the piece. That's one, one strategy. Now, that is a long-term strategy because… Sure. Yeah, in most parts of the country, that the schools tend to be in urban areas, and in some places by design. I mean that mm-hmm. that you know Minnesota, as the first charter school state, you have a very open law that allows charters basically anywhere. That's true. right. Yeah. In some of the states that passed laws later, including our home state of Ohio, uh, the political compromise was well, we'll allow charter schools, but only in places that have quote failing school districts, mm-hmm. and that meant mm-hmm. for the most part urban, urban areas. There are some rural districts where you could start charters, but nobody has because mm-hmm. they're in such isolated parts of the state, mm-hmm. it would be hard to, to have, you know scale and everything mm-hmm. else. But you know, so yeah, if you want to open up uh, charter schools in the exurbs, uh, let's say where there's Republican voters, that is a strategy, and that probably has helped in mm-hmm. some places like Minnesota, like Colorado, mm-hmm. like California. But in other parts of the country, that's just going to be a hard thing to do, at least uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I do wonder though if. Uh, you know, our, look, some of my friends on the right say, hey, you know, Republicans aren't wrong to be nervous about what they're hearing from a lot of the charter crowd, that mm-hmm. it sounds a lot like some of the stuff that used to come out of ed schools that mm-hmm. we would make fun of. I mean, just this, uh, you know, some of some of the extreme uh, rhetoric around, um, you know, again, whether it's social justice or, you know, suspending kids, you know, is always bad or Whatever it may be, it, it's not the kind of rhetoric that got people excited about the charter school movement back in the 90s, which was about empowering parents, which was about schools that were showing uh, that, yes, poor kids can learn. And the unions have been uh, trying to uh, make excuses for all these years. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and by the way, they are schools that are not, by and large, unionized. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people on the mm-hmm. right uh, really like about that. I mean, yes and no. I think kind of getting back to Chris's point earlier about where charters have served served populations well is really critical and where the Republican voters are now is in more rural areas. And so we're just not seeing charters work well in those areas. A lot of the models that, you know, we're in Ohio, which has a lot of online charter schools, has a lot of models like that, and those could serve rural kids well, and they've mm-hmm. been a really tough sell. In terms of whether or not the rhetoric is extreme and kind of alienating people, I think it kind of depends on where your audience is and who you're talking to, the rhetoric that is used to have the conversation around charter schools. Yeah. I grew up in Iowa. They're having a voucher debate now. They mm. don't have charter schools. Yeah. But the rhetoric that they're using there around the voucher debate is very much about empowering parents because the parents who most want to unlock yeah. the voucher money are Christian parents who yeah. want to send their kids yeah. to Christian schools. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, yeah. And for all this, I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong, that mm. it does feel like most of the rhetoric we've used over the last, say, decade, <laughs> uh, certainly the rhetoric that President Obama Used that that Arnie Duncan used is you know to the left, but it hasn't succeeded in getting more Democratic votes for charter schools. Why? I mean, is is that what it's about, or is it just simply that look, a lot of the kids, a lot of the families in charter schools are poor and minority families who themselves tend to identify as Democrats, and so it's more about being in an alliance with the parents. What is the argument for for continuing to try to? win the left on charter schools instead of just writing them off and saying, look, they never vote for us anyways. Forget them. Let's just shore up support on the right. I think it's overly politicized. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think the lens on it is just, it's, we get so locked into the thinking around the politics of charter schools and the policy of charter schools yeah. that we forget the unique selling proposition has to sell to a wide variety of people. If we get back to the original okay. nature of charter schools, there's no such thing as a charter school. 
you know, it's like having a driver's license. Yeah. And, and driver's license doesn't tell you how to drive yeah. or where you can drive or what kind of car you could drive. It just gives you the ability to be licensed to do it. Yeah. And I think that's what a charter is. A charter is a process. Okay. So we have to start developing more charter schools that have a unique selling proper, pop, proposition to a larger group of people. Yeah. Right? But, but see, but, no, it's a, that's an interesting point. But my argument would be, hey, in most places, we're not having a hard time attracting parents to charter schools. What's mm-hmm. happening is we are having a hard time, for example, getting legislators to vote to equalize funding mm-hmm. for charter schools. Now, in Minnesota, you guys don't have that problem as much. You, mm-hmm. You've had, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but in Ohio, it's still 60 cents on the dollar for charter mm-hmm. schools. You know, you still see that in lots of places. We've had some big wins in the last year in Colorado, Florida, a few other places to finally get some access to local tax dollars and the like. But it's those. So I just feel like we're, we're, we're more successful as a consumer product right now than we are maybe when it comes to politics and policy. I mean, that, that what's holding us back is getting the votes in the state legislature or, you know, mm-hmm. the Massachusetts example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the referendum to allow charters to continue to expand mm-hmm. and have an even playing field when it comes to money. Sure. But your, your um, lawmakers respond to constituents. Yes. Constituents have needs and desires that they care about. Yeah. Things that they get mad yeah. and angry yeah. about, they get listened to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. um, you come to my area, there's no, there's no good pitch right now. Yeah. Um, you have Republican voters who have their kids in the traditional yeah. public school system. Yeah. And they're not actually, uh, they're not great kind of targets right now for a big kind of fancy takeover. Yeah. Of any sort. Yeah. The superintendent in our, in our area holds a lot of power. Yeah. You know, so you were talking about breaking up something that not just people on the left yeah. actually believe in. Yeah. There are people on the right who actually believe that their traditional urban, or, or I'm sorry, rural school district is yeah. actually pretty good. Yeah. And in some right. cases they are. Right. Well, right. it's also and the Lake Pulp got In some cases they're not. Like in mine, yeah. just be yeah. real, like mine <laughs> yeah. is not. Right. I had the lowest graduation rate yeah. in the state. Like you can't argue that my yeah. school district was good. Right. But yeah. you also have the Lake Wobegon effect when. That's right. Every school is bad except the one that you send your kid to because that's a personal Everybody's decision. above average. Yeah. Yes. yes. All right. No, that's yeah. helpful. All right. So, Minnesota. So, so yeah. the yeah. argument uh, that I'm hearing from you, Chris, and look, and it makes a lot of sense, is that what we need to do fundamentally to grow the base of support for charters mm-hmm. is to grow the charter school movement, including into some geographies mm-hmm. that right now don't have charters. Well, we need more people having contact with charter schools yeah. who don't right now. Yeah. We need more varieties of charter schools. Yeah. We, they need to ha- be valuable. Yeah. To, to, to the people that we are talking about, we can't yeah. just get Republicans or people on the right to just do it kind of because of some abstract reason. Yeah. They have to actually know what they are. Yeah. They have to actually see some value in them. I don't think the original proposition for them was that we're going to help a bunch of poor kids. I think the original proposition yeah. was we can prove that getting out of the bureaucracy yeah. and off mm-hmm. the grid yeah. can actually do a better job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is more, yeah. of, right. And anytime mm-hmm. you can have a universal message that this right. is good for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, you win. You know, I will notice, I, I saw some polling data recently, uh, uh, some state-by-state data on, on some of this stuff, and the state with the strongest support for charter schools was Arizona. Oh, wow. Oh, I right. mean, yeah. they have the most yeah, yeah. successful model or they have the most successful culture right now. It is widespread. There's yeah. a lot of them. They're and in all class. areas. What's that? There's a lot of middle class students. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of middle class. Right. So that's so interesting. So they see the value. Right, so maybe that's the... Yeah. yeah. You, if you had more basis schools... Yeah. Um, the, the schools I told you about in Minnesota are actually classical schools. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's a chain yeah. of classical yeah. schools, right? Yeah. Um, why isn't there more of that? Right, right. I mean, that would be a selling prop, especially with um, yeah. um, Catholic schools. Not being as prominent as they right. once were, there is mm-hmm. like a market opportunity. Yeah. Even even in urban areas, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like we pretend like urban. So I often say that urban areas are blue. Yeah. Right. So my job isn't to convince Republicans. Yeah. Most of the time, that's right. That's my, right. my problem isn't um, convincing Republicans; it's, it's convincing Democrats. Yeah. 
usually run most of the city government mm-hmm. in, right. blue, in right. blue cities. But don't forget that in those same cities, there are some Republicans, right? Yeah. There are some people that would be would find a classical school yeah. opportunity to be a good one. That's right. Mm-hmm. And a niche uh, niche audience. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I'm, well, hey, this is a great conversation. We could go on and on. But uh, the listeners are ready for, uh, for what's next. <laughs> so let me say thank you, Chris Stewart, again, CEO of the Wayfinder Foundation. Uh, you're still writing on education reform? I at, am. Uh, at, <laughs> Always. Uh, at Citizen Education. Yes. All right. Always. Excellent. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You excited about the new Star Wars movie or not? Uh, not really. I just saw Wonder Woman on, on video, oh. and that was my big highlight of. of was it good? I know everybody's it seen seeing? it already, but I had it's seen it. Good. It's really good. Oh okay. yeah, it's a lot yeah. of girl power, but awesome. you know, is it? Uh, can my kids watch it? Is it too violent? Or not? No, it's not violent. It's well, not it's too bad. But... It's adequate amount of superhero violence. Yeah, they're all immortal, right. so okay. Yeah, <laughs> that does help. That's what you can tell. <laughs> that sure. does help. That'll yeah. work. No, absolutely. You know, this is how uh, the, the video game people figured out how to allow little kids to play violent games is they made the games all Legos. So nobody ever really dies. The Lego person just falls apart. Well, now I feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's no blood involved, I guess. There's no when blood. Legos die, right? It's a Lego yeah. figurine. <laughs> and so when his head gets chopped off, he just falls. He just falls down. now I feel terrible. Wow, that <laughs> yeah. was just genius. Anyways, yes, loopholes, people. They're always, they will always find a way. Okay, what you got for All us, All right, we got a new study out by Rand that examines teacher support of their state standards and tests, right? Just in time. It's a nationally representative. <laughs> Just in time for what? For, I mean, whatever. Are we always talking about this? A nationally representative sample of K-12 teachers. And though teachers from all subjects were asked about their support of standards and tests, the report focuses only on math and ELA teachers. Okay. It compares responses from teachers who were also surveyed this year and last year. So they got a little bit of trend data. And they look into how certain teacher and school characteristics may impact their support or lack thereof. So every response, because I care about that stuff. It was 45%, which, eh. Eh. Anyway, four key findings, actually five, I think. Uh, Nearly 90% of both ELA and math teachers support the use of state standards for instruction, 90%. Wow. Seems like a slightly higher percentages believe math and ELA standards provide a foundation for post-secondary preparation. Mm-hmm. And also support alignment of the curriculum from mm-hmm. grade to grade. Okay, Boom. that's kind of cool. Good. Uh, however, among those same teachers, what do you think? How do you think support goes down when they ask them about their statewide current their statewide tests? Way way down. Forty percent, about a third. Yeah. Uh, so. There was a big, huge divide there. Interestingly, though, um, standards enjoy wide support from teachers overall, but then they dig it down. They look at all these different subgroups. Teachers in schools with more low-income students are even more likely to support the use of state standards in both subjects. Makes sense. And the use of tests to measure the mystery. All right. Teachers who said they were in Common Core states because... Who knows what the Common Core state is anymore? So they yeah. ask them, are you in one or are you not? Yeah. And they just use their opinion, okay? So the ones who think they are in Common Core states... <laughs> are you serious? Yes, That's how they uh-huh, did it? ...are less likely to support their state test in math and ELA than those who report that they're not in a Common Core yeah. state. Uh, did they split that up by people using it? Park or Smart Balance? They did, or, okay. and I've got a finding on that soon. Read um, my mind. Another subgroup difference is that teachers who taught higher numbers of students with IEPs mm-hmm. were less likely to support... To, support use of test. Yeah. Also not a shocker. Not a shocker. shocker. Yeah. Alright, and then they try to get in the black box of like what's going on here and how does this support play out and they found that those who didn't support the standards were also less likely 
to think that the standards had a manageable manageable number of topics to teach mm-hmm. in a year. So that seemed to be like their beef. Still like too there's much too to much mm-hmm. to cover. Mm-hmm. Also, non-supporters felt that the state test was too difficult for their students mm-hmm. and that the test would not provide accurate data for students with special needs, especially. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, though, and I mentioned this a second ago, low percentages of supporters and non-supporters, like both of them, just about a quarter mm-hmm. of them, voiced concern that the test was not aligned to their standards mm-hmm. or that their school lacked the technological capacity to administer the state mm-hmm. tests. So those are two big areas, right, to, mm-hmm. that we used to gripe about that we Trust. weren't there. And yeah. now they're at least saying we don't mm-hmm. have those concerns. Number five, final one, there were no significant changes in teachers' overall concerns about standards and tests from last year to this year, mm-hmm. um, except for a couple. And here's your park finding, including teachers and states that administered the park ELA test in both 2015 and 2016 showed a measurable decrease in various concerns about that particular test. Oh, oh. specifically, they were less likely to say the test would be too difficult for their mm-hmm. students, less likely to say they wouldn't provide accurate scores or it'll take away from other important classwork. So mm-hmm. I think huh. it was a good news and some not so good news. Teachers like the standards. They still don't seem to like Common Core too much. Mm-hmm. They don't like the state test too much, but alignment is better. Yeah. They have don't have concerns about technology like they used to. And once you get used to park, it seems like people think yeah. it's not so bad. <laughs> so, okay, a couple of things that fascinating. Thank you, Amber. Yeah. So mm-hmm. first of all, it does sound like there is a huge difference between these findings for what teachers think of standards and what we found in our Education Next poll hmm. and other places. I mean, you know, in Ed Next, you know, support for teachers really started going down before the general public. I think back in like support 20, for teachers. I'm sorry, support, support for among common, teachers. Oh, okay, for, common, for, common for the core. Common Core really started to move down in I think 2013, and then the general public followed along. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty low. It is higher if you just talk about stand common standards than if you talk about common core mm. but it's still nowhere they're not near asking them about common core right they're well these there are the is. teachers in the, common the, core state there is the, right right this, i mean yeah. they do there's like they split the sample and you know half it's common core and the other half they just describe ah uh, oh okay they use the word it's like a messaging thing yeah in ed next i gotcha yeah, but it's still even when you just say you know do you support the use of common high standards or something like that it's i don't know maybe 60 percent. i'd have mm-hmm. to look that up certainly right. not 90 mm-hmm. well this here right it's so I'm just confused, like what that what that difference, difference is, is. And, and we should really, if we could dig in and look at the wording and try to understand, like mm. why are they? But it's the difference stuff. between saying Common Core and just saying no, state no. standards, or just in general, in any general. standard. I'm saying, oh, it is even if you don't high. say wow. Common Core, okay. I think it's something like sixty percent, mm, yeah, not ninety percent. So mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about something that John White said at our event last week. Over the last, I guess, week, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm going to get it wrong, but he's yeah. like, teachers like cohesion. They don't like when think when they're getting a bunch of mixed messages and it doesn't add up yeah. to something cohate and total and full. And teachers also like having mm-hmm. been one, Amber, you've been one, mm-hmm. like are kind of master BS detectors. Mm-hmm. Like they deal with, you know, the dog ate my homework, mm-hmm. various other things all the time. And they have a pretty good, I think, sense of stuff. So I think especially in areas where, you know, they've had these standards, but these tests that aren't aligned and this curriculum that doesn't lead to either those tests mm-hmm. or those standards like that, you know, is problematic and becomes a point of frustration. But the idea of standards and having this like pathway and this goal that they're working towards with their students, I think is makes sense if you're a teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to try to dig in and understand why those differences are. The other thing about this question that they feel like the test is too hard. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that is interesting in that. um, I mean, first of all, let's acknowledge they could be right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, we think, uh, I think we, you know, would generally hold the, the notion that there's been a good attempt to try to link, uh, the sort of quote passing scores with college readiness mm-hmm. and that that is a high bar 
And at a time when only about 40% Mm -hmm. of American kids graduate college ready, it makes sense that only about 40% of most of these tests are are passing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that looks about right to us. So either, but the teachers, you know, maybe that's a little too high. Maybe that some of those kids that aren't passing could go on and do okay in college. Or it could be an opportunity where we need to help teachers, you know, kind of convince them that this Mm -hmm. stuff is linked. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we could show them, hey, kids who score at this level in seventh grade, here's the ACT score they tend to get in eleventh right. grade. Right. Look, it's you know it's only an We're eighteen. We're not just pulling this out. Yeah, of the sky. and that's not high enough. Yeah, you know you need to understand that. You know your kids that are scoring at the fiftieth percentile nationally, that's mm-hmm. not good enough that's to be college ready mm-hmm. because you know you got to be at the sixtieth percentile nationally, which makes it all the more interesting ready. that that teachers in low income schools were more supportive yeah. of both standards and tests, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost like the realization that we we get that our kids yeah. got a ways to go and we got to catch them up. I also think they find them to be um, kind of a backstop for conversations yeah. and stuff like with parents with administrators about how people are doing. So if you buy into the tests, you can yeah. use them in better ways. Well, right, and it could, you know, but that's right. And and mm-hmm. the, yes, maybe these teachers in more suburban areas or middle class areas, you know, they have assumed that, you know, all their kids are going to do fine. But right, if you look at the right. data, most of those places no. I mean, there's plenty of kids coming out of middle class mm-hmm. suburban schools that uh, end up in remedial education. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, maybe this is the, this question is what can we do? to really educate educators to, you know, help see, Mm -hmm. connect the dots here. I Mm -hmm. think there's some potential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. Mm. Very cool. Okay. Hey, cool stuff, Amber. Thank (laughs) you. Hey, we we have a study in the works uh, related to this as well. So we'll get some even more updated findings. We will in not too many months. Early 20, what year are we in? 18. We're going into 18. (laughs) (laughs) And and we'll be digging into really implementation. We want to understand more and more what this looks like on the ground. All right. Thank you, Amber. Until next time. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Michael Trilley of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.